If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. On Labor Day weekend, 2020, a young First Nations woman went missing from the Granville Street area of downtown Vancouver, British Columbia. On September 18, 2020, local law enforcement would release the following statement. Vancouver police are asking for the public's help in locating a missing 24-year-old woman. She was last seen on September 7, 2020, in Vancouver's downtown entertainment district. She is indigenous, 5 foot, 3 inches tall, 120 pounds, and has black hair. She was last seen wearing a gray sweater, a black crop top, black jeans, and brown boots. She was carrying a beige purse. Anyone who sees her is asked to call 911. This is the disappearance of Chelsea Poorman, and this is True North True Crime. Welcome to episode 15 of True North True Crime. We want to thank you all for listening and continuing to support our podcast, and of course, we want to wish you all a happy new year. We hope you are all safe and well. Before we get into today's episode, we want to thank Renee, Alyssa, Raven Lynn, PK, Maurizio, and our anonymous friend from Rome for buying us some coffees last week. And thank you to Giraffe3000, Cindy D, Alberta, and Amy's book review for becoming honorary producers from your ongoing donations of just $5 a month. If you would like to become an honorary producer or donate a coffee to us, you can do so by going to buy me a coffee at TNTC Pod. If you can't donate right now, but you want to help out our podcast, we do really appreciate those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. 
as well as subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or hit the follow button on Spotify. Or you can simply tell a friend about True North True Crime. Yeah, so today's episode, we're going to be bringing awareness to the disappearance of Chelsea Poorman. This case has recently started getting media attention in British Columbia, so we wanted to cover it as there is some urgency here. We were lucky enough to speak to Sheila Poorman, who is Chelsea's mom, so we put this episode together using our interview with Sheila as well as publicly available news articles and social media posts. We want to give a description of Chelsea at the top of the episode. So Chelsea was last seen in the Granville Street Entertainment District of downtown Vancouver in the early morning hours of September 7th, 2020. At the time of her disappearance, Chelsea was 24 years old. She has since turned 25. She is a First Nations woman. She's five foot three inches tall, 120 pounds, and has black hair. She was last seen wearing a gray sweater, a black crop top, black jeans, and brown boots. She was carrying a beige purse. Chelsea walks with a slight limp, and her left arm is permanently bent at a 90-degree angle. There is also scarring and faded tattoos on her left arm. If you have seen her, or have dash cam footage or camera footage from the Labor Day weekend on the Granville Strip, please contact the Vancouver Police Department. The purpose of this episode, and with all of our Missing Persons episodes, is to bring awareness. Although we may explore some theories, we are not investigators, nor are we able to solve crimes. We just want to present what we have learned to help our listeners to know where their resources could be focused in order to help the families. So, here's what we know about Chelsea Poorman. Chelsea was born in Saskatchewan on October 12, 1995. She grew up with her family, which included two sisters in the city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Saskatoon is the largest city in the Prairie Province of Saskatchewan, with a population of about 325,000 people. Chelsea's family are Coquitous First Nations, which is in central Saskatchewan, and I actually just realized that Coquitous is, is Cree, and the English translation means Poorman, which is their last name. We asked Sheila what Chelsea was like as a child. She had this to say. Chelsea is a highly organized person and needed everything to be organized. When she was small, she always made a list of what she needed to do the next day, like 7.30 a.m. wake up, 7.45 a.m. take a shower, 8 a.m. brush teeth, etc. And this list would extend until the end of her day. She also had her clothes folded up and ready to go for the next day. When she was like three or four years old is when we noticed she was a little fashion queen. Her outfits had to match or she would not leave the house, so we let her pick her own clothes to wear. Today, she still has great fashion sense. She has always stuck up for her sister, and if anyone was mean to her in school, even though she was one of the smallest kids, she did not like to see anyone being bullied and she would stand up to the bully. She is an animal lover and would bring home stray cats or dogs if she found any. Chelsea has a huge, kind heart and is always willing to help anyone that needs her help. She always made people laugh with her sense of humor and her wit. As Chelsea moved into her adult years, she started to push towards, you know, future goals. Her mom says she loves fashion and makeup. She wanted to be a fashion designer. She also loves to write songs, and she had wanted to get into music, which she loves a lot. After her accident in 2014, she wanted to go back to school to be a paramedic, even though she had some disabilities. She said that wouldn't stop her. She's an incredibly determined young lady and does what she can to accomplish what she puts her mind to. Her sister Paige described Chelsea as a really kind and sweet person. 
She's super funny, always trying to make people laugh. Very sweet person, very polite, but she's a little soft-spoken. So the accident that her family was referencing was a bad car accident that Chelsea was in in 2014. She was left with some serious physical and mental injuries. As a result of the accident, she recovered in such a way that she had a slight limp, and also her left arm remained at a permanent 90-degree angle. She also suffered a brain injury. The result of that brain injury had lasting impacts on her mental health. In 2018, Chelsea was the victim of a violent assault. The combination of the accident and the assault left Chelsea with the challenging effects of PTSD. So PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is an anxiety disorder that affects our mental health. It's characterized by PTSD symptoms that begin after a specific traumatic event or a buildup of trauma over time. This traumatic event or general trauma is often replayed repeatedly in a person's mind, making it appear as if they are continually experiencing this event. This results in fears and stress associated with trauma being continually reactivated in the body and in the mind. So it's almost like the person is reliving the event over and over again, often through flashbacks. This can result in pretty distressing symptoms like nightmares, a state of hyperarousal, disassociative states, increased reactivity, being easily startled, trouble concentrating, and a feeling of helplessness. It can also have changes in mood, including irritability and outbursts that might occur. So that's just a little bit about PTSD, so we get sort of a a framework of um, what Chelsea might be going through. We asked Sheila what led Chelsea to Vancouver, and she told us this. Chelsea was in Regina prior to coming to Vancouver. She was trying her best to get help for her mental health issues, but found it difficult to get the proper help in Saskatchewan. So she decided to come to Vancouver to get help for her mental health, which she was in the process of doing right before she went missing. She was connected to a clinic in the east side. Chelsea had many obstacles in her life that made it hard for her to accomplish some of her goals, such as going back to school or even finding a job. After the car accident and the assault she endured in 2018, she has a brain injury where her mental health is at stake. She also has PTSD from those incidents and her life was not the same. She was trying so hard to live a normal life, but it was extremely hard for her, and she ended up turning to alcohol and drugs to deal with all the trauma she had gone through. So clearly we have a young woman who is struggling with some pretty big life challenges, especially for someone so young. So in 2020, Sheila, Chelsea's mom, and Paige, Chelsea's sister, moved to Vancouver. And according to Chelsea's social media, she would move to Vancouver on July 14th, 2020. It was reported by CBC that Chelsea had planned to attend film school. So for those who aren't familiar with Vancouver, it is the biggest city in the province of British Columbia. The city itself has a population of about 700,000 people, and the greater Vancouver area has a population of around 2.5 million. The city is beautiful, livable, and uh, a very diverse place. It's a great example of a successful West Coast city in a lot of ways. Vancouver is full of modern glass towers that boast beautiful mountain and ocean views. However, the city is embarrassingly unaffordable, and the wealth gap in the city is, quite frankly, deplorable. It's not uncommon to witness Lamborghinis driving along streets that are lined with homeless tents. The lack of affordable housing has left a lot of people struggling to make ends meet in Vancouver, and that was before COVID-19. We are going to talk about a few more aspects about Vancouver later in our episode that we feel might be important. 
But let's leave this for now and talk about the night that Chelsea disappeared. On September 6, 2020, which this would be the Sunday of the long weekend, the Labor Day long weekend, Chelsea and her sister Paige headed out on the town. They went to the downtown area known as the Granville Street Entertainment District, or the Granville Strip, as it's called for people in Vancouver. So the Strip is basically six blocks of nightclubs, bars, restaurants, dollar-sliced pizza joints, hot dog vendors, food trucks, that kind of thing. On weekends, and especially long weekends, the Granville Strip is a gong show. Often on the weekends, the street is closed to car traffic to ensure the safety of thousands of revelers wandering from club to club. Some nights, the street is more of a club than the clubs themselves. Yeah, the COVID restrictions had all but been lifted in September as the provincial COVID numbers had been trending downwards. So as a young person or someone who is young at heart, Labor Day would be a great time to hit the town. A post on social media shows Chelsea and Paige in a selfie with the caption, hitting up every club tonight on Granville, single, kissy face. So Paige and Chelsea went out for dinner and then later out for drinks. Paige and Chelsea hit up the Belmont Hotel at Granville and Nelson. Oh boy, lots of memories of that place. This building is home to a couple of bars called The Living Room and The Basement. So the Belmont is certainly not a seedy or sketchy, dangerous place at all. This is a bar that turns into a club on the weekends, and it's it's the crowd is 19 to 30-year-olds just getting their drink and dance on. Yeah, it's like an average bar you'd find in any college town. Mm-hmm. So the sisters left the bar and then went to a friend's nearby apartment at Granville and Davie, located at the south end of the Strip by the bridge. There are a lot of residential and condo-style apartments in this area. Chelsea and Paige hung out at the apartment until just past midnight, uh, having some casual drinks after the club. Paige said there was nothing remarkable about it. It wasn't an out-of-control thing or a wild party, just some friends having a casual beverage. At some point, though, during the night, and again, this is just after midnight, Chelsea got up and left the apartment without telling anyone where she was going. She did not announce to anyone that she was going or say that she was going to meet anybody outside, or anything like that. She just kind of left. So Paige managed to get a hold of Chelsea by phone, and Paige stated the following in a CBC article. She's just like, leave me alone, I'm with my new bae. And I was like, Chelsea, who's there? Where are you? And she still didn't say anything, and hung up on me. There have been no signs of Chelsea since, no indication her phone was used for any other calls or texts, and no sightings. We asked Sheila what she knows about what happened that night, and this is what she had to say. And now we know some of this is repeated information, but we wanted to make sure we gave you Sheila's words. Her sister Paige and Chelsea decided to go out for a late dinner, then for a few drinks to check out the downtown district since they had never been there before. Then they went to Paige's friends to visit and have a few drinks where Chelsea decided to leave on her own. Paige did try to locate her, but could not see her outside on Granville Street. And she tried to call her numerous times. So obviously, like, Paige ran downstairs, went out onto the street, started looking for Chelsea. Chelsea did answer the phone, but did not tell Paige where she was, but did mention she was with her new bae, but never said who it was. After that, Chelsea never answered her phone or replied to text messages. We became very concerned when she never contacted us at all. So we made the missing person report. Both her sister Paige and I had a feeling that this was not the same as other times she would go missing on us because 
She would go on a party streak for a few days, but she always called us. We both said this feels different and something is not right. So we asked Sheila what she felt was suspicious about that night in particular, and she had this to say. The only thing was that she never contacted us the next day, because she would always let us know she was okay even if she was high or drunk. She would always call us. We asked about the strange man and if they had any idea who it might be. Neither Paige or Sheila know, stating, We have no clue as to who that man is. She is a very friendly person and talks with anyone, so she probably just met that man she was with. We want to note here that Chelsea was not dating anyone at the time, nor did she indicate that she had intentions of meeting up with someone new. One of the questions we asked Sheila was about clues, you know, like if there was any clothing found or bank accounts used or phone logs, and she told us this. She never touched her money that she had in her bank account, which was also strange because she would spend it on alcohol or drugs if she was still partying the next day. We have absolutely no clues to this day for us to follow up on. The police did check her phone, but never got anything to help in their investigation at this time. Her phone was last pinged near Hastings Street, but that is the last area it was pinged at. Okay, so let's just stop for a second right there, because that Hastings ping on her phone could be pretty important. We want to take a second to talk about the downtown east side of Vancouver, or Hastings Street, as it's called in Vancouver. The downtown east side is a very economically challenged area of the city. The DTES, as we call it, has a transient population of about 7,000 people. They live in shelters or single-room occupancy hotels, halfway houses, as well as many large homeless encampments. Now, that's not everyone, Mm -hmm. but that is a major part of the population of the downtown east side. As with all of Vancouver, it is surrounded by very expensive condos that have moved into the area. There's a real big push for gentrification in the area. The area is one of the city's oldest, and it's the site of many complex social issues like addiction, mental health, poverty, homelessness, crime, sex work, and human trafficking. While the area is serviced by many well-intentioned and successful nonprofits, it is also an incredibly dangerous area, especially for young, vulnerable people who are new to the city. People disappear here at alarming rates. Also, it is not uncommon for someone to be violently assaulted for a very small debt or perceived insult. Indigenous women specifically are targeted, trafficked, or go missing at higher rates in the downtown east side. And Vancouver's violent crime during COVID-19 has risen during 2020, especially like person-on-person crime. We've seen like a lot of different types of very intense assaults on the news night after night. And Vancouver is also battling its second pandemic. And that pandemic is the opioid crisis. On average, five people a day die in British Columbia with a high percentage of those deaths happening in the downtown east side. And that's from fentanyl and opioid overdoses. So that's a little bit about the downtown east side and why it's concerning that that's the last place her phone pinged. So we asked Sheila, what risk factors should we be aware of? And she had this to say, it's her mental health that we are concerned about because of her brain injury. She is very vulnerable. Like I said, she has turned to drugs and alcohol to cope with all the trauma she has been through. Also, we are concerned for her health. She does wear a brace on her left leg in order to help her walk properly, and she may have lost that, needing another one. She also needs medication for her mental health. Okay, so let's recap here. 
Chelsea went out for dinner and drinks with her sister on Sunday, September 6th. Then, at some point after midnight on Monday, September 7th, so the wee hours, she left her friend's apartment on the Granville Strip. At around 1 a.m., she stated on the phone that she was with her new bae. She has not been seen since. She has not used her bank account. Her phone has been turned off. She's missed her birthday and all of the holidays with her family. She's also new to Vancouver and doesn't really know anyone there. And lastly, her phone pinged in one of the most dangerous urban areas in Canada. So let's get into what we know about the searches and go over some basic theories after a quick break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And we are back. So a few days after Chelsea was last seen, her family reported her missing to the Vancouver Police Department. The department issued their press statement on September 18th. On October 20th, 2020, the family started the Bring Chelsea Home Facebook page. The page has been used to fundraise and organize searches. The family has raised a $10,000 reward for information leading to Chelsea's safe return. A lot of the search efforts have been focused on the downtown core of Vancouver as well as the downtown east side. Sheila, along with other family members, have been organizing searches through their Facebook group. And like many families before them, they have spent days postering the downtown core of Vancouver, as well as speaking to people on the street. They have also been handing out business cards and flyers with Chelsea's information on them. So we definitely want to highlight here that Sheila has been searching the downtown east side nonstop for four months. The family and their supporters have also asked many of the community outreach programs, shelters, and centers in the area to look out for Chelsea. So far, no solid leads have surfaced. So from what we've been able to research, there were two possible sightings. In one instance in November, a person on Facebook said she saw a woman just outside of Strathcona Park with a significant limp. She said the lady was First Nations and that she was pushing a stroller with a duffel bag in it. She stated that she let VPD know and that she felt that the woman was in some kind of trouble. In early December, another tip came in that Chelsea had been staying at a woman's shelter in the downtown east side. Neither of these tips have resulted in finding Chelsea. So as I'm sure many of our listeners know, getting media attention for missing people can be a struggle. And sadly, this is even more of a struggle when the missing person is a young First Nations woman 
who is struggling with mental health issues. However, on November 10th, APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, ran a story about Chelsea. Sheila and the family were getting frustrated by the lack of coverage by larger mainstream media outlets, and on November 23rd, Sheila expressed her gratitude towards APTN for their help, but also her frustration at the other networks for not helping. In her post, she stated that she would be contacting all of the networks personally, and whatever she said must have worked because... On December 24th, CBC ran a story about her that was followed by a Global News Vancouver segment on December 27th. So we asked Sheila where the Vancouver Police Department were on the investigation, and she said, They are doing everything they can do and are trying to follow up with any tips, but they have no leads at this time. In an email sent to CBC, Sergeant Steve Addison said Poorman's case is being transferred to the homicide section but is still being treated as a missing persons case that requires additional resources. He said it is not currently being considered a homicide. Quote, Chelsea is vulnerable and her disappearance is higher risk for a variety of socio and economic factors. As such, a more robust investigation is required to determine the circumstances surrounding her disappearance and to hopefully locate her safe and sound. So it seems that they have an increased resource allocation in finding Chelsea. This is a good thing. Let's go over a few theories that usually come up when a person goes missing. Now, as we go over these theories, we want to be clear we are not experts, nor are we experienced investigators. We go over theories in the podcast as a way for people to understand the risks that are out there, as well as to help our listeners know where their focus should be. When people go missing, there's often a lot of rumors or far-fetched explanations, so we take this chance to calm the waters, so to speak. Yeah, and as usual in this podcast, we always want to hit the topic that if somebody is uh, using drugs or has mental health issues or any type of factors like that, we don't judge. We believe that all people deserve to be found. They deserve to be reunited with their loved ones. I know that as a society, sometimes people shrug it off Mm -hmm. when, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, that's what happens or something like that. But that doesn't matter to us at this podcast. We don't judge people for lifestyles or anything like that. So the first theory is that Chelsea is willfully missing, that maybe she ran away. So Chelsea was a pretty independent person. She had already lived in Regina and Saskatoon. She lived relatively independently as an adult. She also struggled on and off with substance use and mental health issues. So the question is, would she just run away? We asked Sheila about this, and this is what she thinks. No. She would not do that because she knows that we love her and she would not just up and leave without letting us know. That would be way out of character. So we should also add to this that she has not touched her bank account, her social media, or her phone. Yeah, and she had like four or five Facebook accounts. Well, no, she had three Facebook accounts that I could find plus two Instagram accounts. So So she she likes social media. Yeah. Also, she had literally just moved to Vancouver to be closer to her sister and her mother. And if somebody's going to go off to, you know, be independent and go off on their own and they're, you know, they're using drugs and alcohol, like they're going to be tapping into their savings. Yeah. They're not going to leave that money. And also they're, she, it's not like she had a family that judged her for it. Mm-mm. So why she doesn't need to escape or anything like that. So in this theory, She would have taken off with a random person and started a new life in the middle of the night at one o'clock in the morning after already starting a new life. And, you know, on one of her social media uh, 
pages, it was a, a, a photo of her cover photo was of the city of Vancouver. So it was clear that she was like, she was there. Having a good know? time and enjoying it. Yeah. So she would have done this all like taken off and done it without any money or support from her family. So this theory doesn't make any sense. The timing is off. The circumstances don't make sense. Um, she didn't run away. So let's just move on. So our second theory that we want to walk through is self-harm or suicide. We realize this is super triggering for some people, so we will make this theory brief. Yeah, again, this one doesn't fit here. Chelsea had just moved to a new place. She had her family with her, and she was looking forward to school. Also, the whole car ride with Bay doesn't make sense for this being a suicide or a self-harm situation. We also asked Sheila about this, and she said no, that this is not plausible. So let's just go ahead and move on to the next theory. The next theory is that Chelsea is in a mental health crisis or distress situation. In this theory, the way I see it, Chelsea would have met up with someone, maybe on Tinder, or maybe they just bumped into each other in the street or... In the club that night. In the club that night, they slipped each other phone numbers or something like that. So she would have met up with somebody and maybe had a bit of a bender. Um, Then, without her meds or due to something that may have triggered her PTSD... Chelsea could have found herself in a mental health crisis or perhaps a manic episode. Now, I I don't know her full diagnosis. I'm just throwing out a theory here. This would leave her in the downtown east side without medication, connection, or support. Yeah, and she could have, like, lost her phone, so she might not have a way to, like, contact any family or anything like that, so... Yeah, and, yeah, and then once the episode starts, it's, you know, it's, it just becomes a spiral. Of, and it's confusing, and you're in a city that you don't know super well. You're not around people that you know, so that would not be a great situation. Yeah, and I need to say that I worked in homeless shelters, and this was a lot more common than you would think. Like, I saw it a lot. People who were walking relatively normal lives would find themselves in shelters with no real idea how they got there. I once found a man who had been living in a park... And after two weeks in the shelter and getting connected with mental health teams and getting the help he needed, we found out he actually owned two homes. Adding to this theory is that most shelters are low-barrier shelters. Many clients in those shelters, especially women fleeing violence, will enter the shelter under a fake name. This decision is respected by all shelter staff. That means if a family member calls the shelter looking for someone, the shelter will neither confirm nor deny that they are there. Instead, the shelter workers will speak directly to the client and let them know family are looking for them. For us, this theory makes a decent amount of sense. It is also the one that should raise alarm bells for people that the Poorman family need our help. Chelsea could right now be in a distressed state walking the streets of one of the most notorious areas of Vancouver. Our next theory is that Chelsea had some kind of accident, in this case specifically an accidental overdose that was perhaps covered up. Like, we do not know Chelsea's drug of choice, nor did we ask, but we do know that the toxic drug supply in Vancouver has affected all substances on the market. Just last month, five people were found overdosed on fentanyl in a West End apartment party. Everyone at that party thought they had taken MDMA. These were middle-class weekend warriors. Fentanyl has also made its way into cocaine and many other recreational drugs. So whether a person is a casual party drug user or an experienced opioid user, there is a lot of risk when you're using these days. Even if a person is familiar with their supplier, 
the toxic drug supply is coming from way up in the chain of supply. So in this theory, and this is just a theory, perhaps Chelsea met up with the random guy, they partied, and Chelsea found herself in an overdose situation. And then the guy or whoever she was with that night panicked and covered it up. Yeah, we bring this up because this theory often comes up in missing person inquiries. I can't honestly say how common it is, though, in actuality, but the theory often makes the rumor mills in missing cases. I've talked to three or four different families who have all told me that that rumor has come back to them about their missing loved one. I, Like I said, I don't know how viable it is, but it keeps on coming up. Yeah, so the other side of the accident theory is that maybe she met up with some other kind of physical accident, maybe a hit-and-run cover-up. In both of these instances, there would have had to have been someone who had the ability and the lack of morality to cover up these accidents. According to Sheila, the VPD are searching for Jane Doe's at hospitals across Canada. Yeah, so while this theory has merit, there is no real physical evidence to prove it, and it really sounds a lot more like it would fall under the category of foul play, especially if there was a cover-up of some sort. So that brings us to our final theory, the theory of foul play. So for this theory, we are going to talk about some dark stuff. This is not to catastrophize. This is just to bring awareness to the risks that are unfortunately out there. We're going to talk about the possibility of homicide or human trafficking. So was Chelsea the victim of a homicide? She has not used her phone or her bank accounts in four months. She has not been confirmed to be seen in four months, and this is concerning. The VPD have also passed her file over to the homicide team. Now, we realize that this was, uh, they did this to allocate more funds and more resources to finding her, but that does mean the file is on their desk. Vancouver can be a very dangerous place especially for young, vulnerable Indigenous women who are affected by complex socioeconomic issues. There are all kinds of debt collectors and violent offenders in the downtown east side. However, while violence is common in the downtown east side, homicides are not. Most of the homicides in Vancouver tend to be gang-related. Yeah, in the suburbs. Or between parties who are known to one another. Not since Robert Picton have we seen random murders. So we don't reasonably think that homicide is the case in Chelsea's disappearance. We believe that Chelsea is still alive. Maybe it's a hunch or maybe it's based on statistics, but there is currently no evidence pointing to Chelsea being the victim of a homicide. But there is another dark aspect of Vancouver, and that is human trafficking. Now, when talking about human trafficking, it's important to clarify that human trafficking is not limited to the sex trade. It can take many forms including forced labor and debt bondage. People can be forced to be indebted to someone quite easily in the downtown east side. It can be drug debt or protection money or housing debt or simply just food. It's not uncommon for people who are new to the downtown east side to become easy marks and taken advantage of, especially if they are struggling. Someone being trafficked or held against their will will have their ID taken away, their phone taken away, their meds along with any connection to services in the area or their family. In May of 2020, in one of Vancouver's most notorious homeless encampments, a woman was found being held against her will in a tent. She had been assaulted multiple times. She had been held captive for 15 hours. She was screaming over and over again, and no one did a thing. 
Vancouver police say the crime was eventually reported to them, and detectives completed a thorough investigation that resulted in the arrest of two people and multiple charges being recommended, including forcible confinement, sexual assault, assault causing bodily harm, and assault with a weapon. The two suspects remain in pretrial custody. When APTN asked Sheila about what leads had come from her searches, she said the following. We got a message from a young lady just after we put the posters up and the media went up, and she stated that the weekend that my daughter went missing, there were some individuals that were out there, and they were human traffickers. So those are our theories. We strongly believe that Chelsea is alive and that she needs to be found. Now, we acknowledge that most of our theories centered around the downtown east side. But based on the last phone ping and also what that woman told Sheila about traffickers being in the area, we think that this should be the area of concern. Now, we realize we've painted a bit of a dark picture of the downtown east side, and that's not entirely fair. Uh, In the downtown east side, there is a lot of community. There's a lot of caring. There's a lot of generosity. I... The people um, that I've had the ability to work with in the downtown east side are all caring, loving, honest um, people who look out for one another. So there is a beauty in the downtown east side inside of all of that, but there is a darkness as well. So I just wanted to balance that out for a second. We know that we have a lot of social workers who listen to the podcast, and we also know that we have many listeners in British Columbia. If you are working in the area... We ask that you keep an eye out for Chelsea or keep an ear out for gossip on the street. Please print off one of Chelsea's posters and put it up in your office. We will obviously be posting Chelsea's missing poster on our Instagram, that's at TNTCPod, as well as on our Twitter, at TNTCPod. And if you walk to work or live in the downtown core, we ask that you please look out for Chelsea or put a poster up where you can. If you were out on the Granville Strip on September 6th, 2020 or into the morning on September 7th, 2020, we ask that you check your phones for video or images from that night. We asked Sheila how our listeners could help. She said, if the public can keep sharing her poster or news stories about Chelsea, that would be great. Also, if they can print the poster and hang it up in their workplaces, that can help us. And our Facebook page is called Bring Chelsea Home. That's where you can find information about how to donate towards the reward money. We originally wanted to raise $20,000 for a reward, but so far, we have enough for $10,000, but we would still love to offer $20,000, leading to information to Chelsea's location. We also want, obviously, to thank Sheila for talking to us, as well as point out how great of a person she is. She sent us this quick message after we had already chatted about Chelsea. Can you mention how grateful I and the family are for all the donations we've received so far for the reward money? Yeah, she's in this... Um, very traumatizing situation where she's trying to find her daughter, but she still is just like, hey, thank you so much. I just want to make sure that that's clear, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, It's just so giving. So we have some information that we're going to link on our Facebook page and on our social media. Please consider donating to Chelsea's reward fund by e-transferring to bringchelseahome at outlook.com. Please join the Facebook group, Bring Chelsea Home, where you can find posters and ways to help. Yeah, and like we said, we will have all those posters on our social media. Chelsea Poorman was last seen September 7th around Granville and Davie in downtown Vancouver. Chelsea is Indigenous, 5 foot 3 inches tall, 120 pounds, and has black hair. She was last seen wearing a gray sweater, a black crop top, 
black jeans and brown boots. She was carrying a beige purse. She walks with a noticeable limp, and her left arm is bent at a 90-degree angle and has scarring and faded tattoos. If you have any information or see her, please call 911. If you wish to remain anonymous, please call 1-800-531-2810. These call takers are not law enforcement, and they are available 24-7. Chelsea is a vulnerable young woman and needs your help. This brings us to the end of this episode. Please tell a friend about TNTC, buy us a coffee, or those five-star reviews on Apple really help. We are super grateful to have you as our listeners. We will have a new episode in two weeks. And again, our honorary producers for the podcast this week were Alberta Bly, Amy's Book Review, Cindy D, and Giraffe 3000. So until our next episode, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, folks. <laughs>